today we are continuing our series on 2 Peter, the Pilgrim's Life. I'll be back. I'll be back. It's one of the most famous catchphrases of a, from a movie that became uh, famous in 1984. It was uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger who starred in the film The Terminator. Pero actually, hindi siya yung bida. Siya yung kalaban dun, no? The Terminator, he was a cyborg, cyborg assassin sent from the future to kill Sarah Connor, who will be the mother of the... Who, Si Sarah Connor, siya yung mother ng magiging leader, siya yung mother ng magiging leader ng resistance. So that is why the Terminator was sent. I'll be back is a scary word because it meant back then, sabi ni Arnold Schwarzenegger, I'll be back to terminate you. That, what, that is the meaning of that phrase. But in Terminator 2, it reappeared again. But this time, the meaning was totally different. He said, I'll be back but this time, I'll be back to save you. The first time he said, I'll be back to terminate you. The second time, I'll be back to save you. But long before Schwarzenegger came into the picture, our Lord Jesus Christ said the same thing. I'll be back. Jesus is coming back and that is the hope of the people of God for many years. For some, those are terrifying words, but for others, especially us believers, those are the most comforting words. I'll be back. And the Apostle Peter affirms this reality. Jesus is coming back. And that is highlighted in his letter in 2 Peter. And so Peter tells his readers, know your salvation, know your scripture, know the truth and false teachers, know the second coming, and know your sanctification. Now, why did Peter write this second letter? As we learned last time, Peter is nearing his death. He's about to die and he sees the coming danger, the danger of false teachers. Like wolves in sheep's clothing, these false teachers will come to deceive and destroy the flock from within. And so he warned and prepared the believers. That is why he wrote the final letter. And here is Peter's last message. No and prepare. No and prepare. Now here is the key lesson that we have. Let's dive into our text. The first is wake up. Verse 1 to 2. This is now, beloved, the second letter I am writing to you in which I am stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder. You see, in chapter 2, Peter warns his readers about the false teachers and he highlighted their theological errors and at the same time their moral errors. And Peter finished the chapter by confirming that God indeed will judge them in his time and their condemnation is certain. But here in chapter 3, Peter turned and changed his tone and addressed again the believers. From condemning the false teachers, Peter now turns and encourages the believers, God's beloved. And that is why he said, this is now the second letter I am writing to you in which I am stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder. Peter said, I am stirring up your, your sincere mind. In the original Greek, the phrase to stir up means to wake up, to wake up. It's the same word used in Luke chapter 8 verse 24. Remember when the disciples went into the lake, they crossed the lake, then as strong storm came and Jesus was sleeping. And so they were afraid because they were in danger. So the disciples went and woke Jesus shouting, Master, Master, we're going to drown. And then Jesus woke up and he rebuked the winds and the raging waves. That's the same word there. To wake up, it's to stir up. Peter said, I am stirring up your sincere mind. I am waking you up. Why? Because Peter tells them, I am about to die and you, the flock, will be left behind. After I go, someone else will come. But beware, these are not good guys, but these are wolves in sheep's clothing. So you need to be ready. You need to wake up. 
Last October 7, a group of Hamas militants launched a surprise attack from Gaza to Israel. Many were killed during that surprise attack and many have been taken and even brought back to Gaza and held as hostages. But what made this attack deadlier? You see, it's the timing. The attack happened on a holiday weekend. It's about the end of the Feast of Tabernacles. And since it is a holiday, the Jewish people were quite relaxed and complacent. And so because of that, Hamas caught Israel off guard and they caught them sleeping. And that is what Peter is telling his readers. He said, wake up because the enemy is coming. If you are not ready, they will destroy and kill you. And the same applies to us today, dear brothers and sisters. A battle is brewing and the enemies are on their way. The question is, are you awake or are you sleeping? Are you combat ready or are you complacent? Can you turn to your seatmates and tell them, wake up, wake up. Sige, sabihin nyo sa katabi nyo, wake up. Makinig ka sa sermon, wake up. Wake up. In Tagalog, hoy gising. We need to wake up. We need to wake up. From being spiritually passive, we need to be spiritually active. How? Peter continues, he said, I am stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder that you should remember the words spoken beforehand by the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior spoken by your apostles. To wake up his readers, Peter emphasizes the importance of remembering. And he said, remember two things. Remember two things. First, the words is spoken by the holy prophets. That refers to the Old Testament. Remember the second thing, the command of the Lord and Savior spoken by the apostles. And here, Peter implies that both the Old Testament and the New Testament are equal in authority. Peter tells them, you are already genuine Christians. You already know the truth. You have a sincere mind. But I need to remind you once again so that you will wake up from your spiritual slumber. Remember the apostles, what they wrote, and remember what the prophets wrote. Remember the message of our Lord Jesus Christ revealed in the Old and the New Testament. Remember God's word. Now, Scripture has a lot to say about the return of Christ. Prophecy, basically, pro what does prophecy mean? Prophecy means it's a divine message from God. But we also use the term prophecy with regards to about foretelling about the future. So it's also connected to a divine message about the future, but all of those is still tied up to our Lord Jesus Christ, to the Messiah. You see, prophecy in Scripture is so, uh, it's a significant part of Scripture. 20% of Scripture is prophecy, and one-third of that focuses on the second coming of Christ. Out of the 300 plus OT prophecies about Jesus, more than 200 points to his return. And there are eight times more passages on the scripture about the Messiah's second coming than his first. And furthermore, Jesus referred to his return 21 times and 50 times God commanded us in the New Testament to be ready for his return. So here is Peter is telling his reader, remember God's word, go back to basics, go back to what God is telling you. So it's like hammering a nail on the wood. Peter is telling them, you have to hit it repeatedly and drive it deeper into your hearts, into your mind. Remember scripture. Why? Because scripture is a cure for spiritual lethargy. I don't know where you are now in your spiritual journey. Perhaps some of you are caught up with the busyness of the season. Maybe some of you are uh, quite busy and tired attending parties, celebrations here and there. And these are good things. Or maybe you are catching up with your year-end targets and the things that you need to do before the year closes. Yes, you're physically active, emotionally overwhelmed, but perhaps you could be spiritually sleeping. Distractions, concerns, and demands toss you around and you've lost that sense of direction. And maybe you've lost also that sense of the deep things of God and you're spiritually sleeping. Now, what would wake you up from this spiritual slumber? It's the Word of God. We need the shock effect of the Word of God. We need to wake up. 
the past few days, personally, I was thinking through of my, uh, some of my personal concerns, family needs, ministry concerns, personal goals. But as I reflected, I found myself worried and anxious and the craving to desire to, to pursue the temporal things of this world started to surface. But I praise God that this passage in his word in 1 Corinthians woke me up to this greater reality. And this has been an encouragement by the Lord to me. 1 Corinthians 7, 29 to 31. But let me say this, dear brothers and sisters, the time that remains is very short. From now on, those with wives should not focus, should not focus only on their marriage. Those who weep or those who rejoice or those who buy things should not be absorbed by their weeping or their joy or their possessions. Those who use the things of this world should not become attached to them. For this world as we know it will soon pass away. You see, we need to, we need to go back to God's word to wake us up from that greater reality. And I praise God for that. For me, I, if I see, if I focus my eyes on the things around, I will be discouraged. I would be jealous or envious or perhaps have that uh, hope lost, a sense of hope lost. But God's word is there to remind us to open our eyes to that greater reality. Are you preparing for a wedding? Are you newly married? Are you preparing for your anniversary? Are you building your career? Are you pursuing your own business? Are you preparing for your retirement? These are good things, and these are God's good gifts to us. But let us not forget that we should not be attached to these things, because in reality, this world is passing away. We need to wake up and prepare. We need to wake up and prepare. The second is watch out. Watch out. Watch out for your enemies and watch out for the day of the Lord. Verse 3 tells us, Know this first of all that in the last days mockers will come with their mocking, following their own lusts. The last days is the time between Christ's first coming and his second coming. So from the time that Jesus died on the cross, resurrected, ascended into heaven, and up to this point, it is the last days. And verse 3 tells us, in the last days, mockers will come with their mocking. And now who are these mockers? You see, mockers are scoffers. A mocker or a scoffer is someone who treats slightly what should be taken seriously. A mocker is someone who takes slightly what should be taken seriously. Remy Lucidi is also known as Remy Enigma on social media. And he is a French photographer who became famous by taking shots and selfies atop tall buildings all over the world. Sadly, last August 2023, he was found dead after accidentally falling off a high skyscraper in Hong Kong. I'm sorry to say this, but Remy Enigma is a mocker. He treated lightly what he, is, what he should have taken seriously. He mocked the authorities, and he lied to the security guards of the building just to get inside. He mocked the privacy of the residents by trespassing, and he mocked his own safety by doing his stunts. Now, as for the mockers and scoffers mentioned here by Peter, what do they do? They treat lightly what should be taken seriously. They ridicule God with their actions and their words. First, they ridicule God with their actions. It says here, they follow after they, their own lust. In other words, they indulge in sin. They live according to their pleasures, according to their heart's desire, without regard for God or others. And why is that? It's actually connected to what they believe and say. Verse 3, it says, In the last days, mocker will come with their mocking, following after their own lust, saying, Where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all continues just as it was from the beginning of creation. You see, these scoffers say, Jesus is never coming back. Jesus is never coming back. There's no such thing as second coming. It's been more than 2,000 years. Why is he still absent? Why is he still 
is Jesus not yet here? And since there is no second coming, there won't be any judgment. And given that there won't be any judgment, then I can do whatever I want. I can live according to my pleasures and desires and indulge in sinful living. That is what the false teachers and, believer and, and mockers believe and say. They say, I can do things on my own. They twist God's word because they trust their own words. They reject God's ways because they prefer they prefer their ways. And Pastor Warren Wiersbe described it more accurately. He said, when your lifestyle contradicts the word of God, you must either change your lifestyle or change the word of God. Dear brothers and sisters, where are you? Are you a mocker? Or are you a disciple, a genuine disciple of Christ? Reflect on your life. Are you a modern-day mocker? Do you twist God's word to justify your chosen lifestyle? Perhaps you go to church on Sundays, but in reality, during weekdays, you pursue a life pursuing sex, money, pleasure, or power. Maybe you're a church leader, but you cheat on your taxes. Or perhaps you profess to follow Jesus, but you treat your workers unjustly. Overwork, underpaid. Or you say you're a Christian, but you shortchange your boss or customers with the quality of your work. Or perhaps you claim to be a disciple of Jesus, but you only live for yourself. You eat, drink, and happiness and pleasure is your pursuit. May the Lord help us. Again, are you a mocker or are you a true disciple of Christ? You see, these mockers say, for ever since the creation, for ever since the fathers fell asleep, all continues just as it was from the beginning of creation. You see, this argument about the second coming or against the second coming is based on the theory of uniformitarianism. Medyo haba, no? Uniformitarianism. Basically, it's a theory that says all natural phenomena have operated uniformly since the beginning of the earth. The universe has been in a constant flux. There's no great change from the beginning, and it has been steady. These are the things that the, these false teachers say. And, and it also implies that God is not involved in the picture. God is absent from the world's affair. These false teachers say there won't be any cataclysmic event. There won't be any judgment at the end of history because that is not how the universe works. Everything in the universe is stable, and it is an uninterrupted flow of steady events over long evolution. Nothing catastrophic will happen. And since nothing catastrophic will happen, there's no judgment, and therefore, we can live as we want to. That is the claim of the false teachers. But Peter refuted them and said, eh, sorry, you got it wrong, you got it wrong. You are wrong on two accounts. You are wrong based on the fact of creation and great flood. Peter said, these teachers, they deliberately overlooked the fact that by the word of God, the heavens existed long ago and the earth was formed out of water, by water, and through which the world at that time was destroyed, being flooded with water. Peter said, the false teachers are wrong because they overlooked and neglected this fact of creation and the great flood. You see, creation is one of the great cataclysmic events in which God interrupted the flow of things. And there's the great flood in which God destroyed the world. And Peter said, God is involved in the past and he is, is still involved until the end. The universe is not a closed system. It is an open system. Who among you here watch Marvel movies? Can I have a yeah, Marvel movies? Kilali si Stanley. Stanley is the author, or is yung writer ng Marvel movies. Ano napapansin yun dun sa Marvel movies? Di ba meron siyang cameo sometimes in, somewhere in the end? But si Stanley, yung sinus, pinapasok niya yung character niya, he's quite ano, medyo comical, either a security guard or a FedEx driver or deliver, delivery boy. Medyo insignificant yung kanyang, yung mga scenes na no, yung sa kanyang cameo. But that is, but for, for God, God is the author 
of our lives. He is the author of the universe, but he is also the hero of the story. Unlike Stanley, where in ano lang, side lang yung kanyang role, God writes his own story and he enters the world, he enters that story, our story with God, and he plays a significant role. So the point is, the universe is an open system where God is the author and the writer and God is the main hero of the story. And God interrupted that flow of history through this great catastrophe, creation, and flood. In verse 6, it says there, the world was flooded. The term in Greek is katakluzo. Sounds like cataclysm, a great upheaval. And that's exactly what happened. God interrupted the flow of history with this great catastrophe. Now, some would say creation and the great flood are just myth. Or the flood is just a local event and not a global one. But here is what Dr. Andrew Snelling said. Dr. Andrew Snelling is one of the world's most respected creation scientists specializing in geological studies. At this point, I, want, I invite you to just let's go through this mental exercise just to think through the logic of what this creation scientist tells us because this is what the intellectuals are, tell, are saying outside the church. These are the mockers saying, oh, there's no, there's no such thing as creation. There's no such thing as the flood. But this Christian scientist tells otherwise. So I hope that you will bear with me for these few moments. Dr. Snelling said, Fossils and rocks are record of creation and flood. I encourage you to look for this article also. Just Google it. Fossils are remains and traces or imprints of plants and animals that have been preserved on the Earth's rocks layers from the past. And therefore, fossils teaches us about animals and plants that live in the past. As described in Genesis 1, God created everything, fully formed, fully functional, and therefore, all the animals and plants reproduce also after their kinds. And ito yung sabi ni Dr. Snelling. Fossil animals and plants appear in the rock with no, with fully formed and fully functional, but with no supposed evolutionary ancestors. So sabi niya, from the beginning, if you trace the fossils, there's no trace of evolution. Once they appear in the rock layers, they don't have change in successive layers, but they stay the same and have reproduced after their own kind. And Dr. Snelling continues, sabi niya, about the flood. Fossil, animal, an, fossil animals and plants are to found very well preserved and often with exquisite details. Pero paano nangyari yun? Itong preservation na to, it requires the animals and plants, they must be buried rapidly so that they won't rot or be eaten by scavengers. So ang point niya, the rapid burial in a catastrophe is necessary for fossilization. And since fossils are found globally, the evidence is consistent with the biblical flood. And today we find billions of dead things and fossils that's buried rapidly over rock layers laid down by water, proven by the sedimentary rock layers all over the earth. Diba sa science, pagka sedimentary rocks, ibig sabihin it was formed by water. Sabi niya, and this flood had to be global because of this evidence. And today we find billions of these things in a massive accumulation called graveyards, which is an extensive layer that can be traced across continents and from one continent to another. Medyo mahaba yung argument, but we have to learn these things. We have to train ourselves to defend our faith. And so ang point niya, fossils and rock layers contain the records of both flood and creation. And the point, creation and flood, these are facts. These are not myth. And given that, since God, what God has said in the past is a fact about creation and the flood, therefore, conclusion, what God says about the past, then what God says about the future is also true, that Jesus is coming again. And that is the logical conclusion that we can come up with. Jesus is coming back again. That has been the great hope of the church for the last 2,000 years. And we're expecting, anticipating, and looking forward to this event to happen. Especially for those of you who are going through trials and difficulties. Na-experience nyo ba yun? Pagkang sarap ng buhay, oh Lord, don't come yet. Ako, to confess, pagka when things are going well, Things are enjoyable. Oh Lord, sana wag ka muna dumating. But when the difficulties come, you pray, Lord, come now. 
Why are you, what are you waiting for? But Christ will come again. And this is the hope of the church. You see, Christmas is coming and one of our favorite songs is Joy to the World. And many people think that Joy to the World is about the birth of Jesus. But in reality, the author Isaac Watts wrote it about the second coming of Christ. It's based on Psalm 98. Joy to the world, the Lord is come, let earth receive her king. And look at this lyrics, particularly in verse 3, it says, No more sins, no more let sins and sorrow grow, nor thorns infest the ground. He comes to make his blessings flow, far as the curse is found. If you look at the lyrics, all of these are second coming language and imagery. And so we look forward to the coming of Christ. And now Peter tells us what will happen then. He said, by his word, by God's word, the present heavens and the earth are going to be reserved for fire, kept for the day of judgment and destruction of ungodly men. You see, in the future, God will destroy the heavens and the earth by fire. Think about it. The heavens are full of stars, comets, and asteroids. Many of the stars are a hundred times larger and hotter than our sun. And the Earth's core is filled with flaming, boiling lake of fire that could reach about 5,000 degrees centigrade. And the human race is only separated by, by a thin crust that is 10 miles from the core. And far more than that, the whole of creation is a firebomb waiting to explode because of its atomic structure. What else? There's that growing threat of nuclear war is, it, that is getting serious by the day. Sorry for the science lecture, but this is, this is the reality that we have to, to be mindful of. You see, God is keeping the world reserved for fire. In the past, God opens the fountains of the deep and destroyed the world through the flood. But in the future, on his day, God can disintegrate the whole universe and the whole expansion of the universe through an atomic explosion. God can do that. By his word, God can let all the volcanoes erupt together at the same time. Or by his providence, God can let World War III to happen. And that will be a nuclear war. And that would be our end. But praise God, we have a good and loving Father. And it says in the Bible, in Christ, all things hold together so that we are not destroyed. And this truth is what Peter reminds us. But do not let this one fact escape your notice, beloved. With one day, with the Lord, one day is like a thousand years and a thousand years like one day. You see, God is so loving. God is so patient. As Peter says here in this verse, you see God's timeline is different from ours. A thousand years is like one day with the Lord. You see, it's been 2,000 years since Christ resurrected and ascended to heaven. Up to this day, it seemed like a long time from our perspective, but for God, it's just been two days. It's just been two days. God's timeline is different. Now, you may ask, Pastor Jen, what, what, what is the church's position about the end times, about the second coming? What's your position on your view, particularly about the 1,000 years millennium described in Revelation 20? That's a good question. But let me share with you some of these points. There are three major views about this millennium. Uh, there's a millennium, post-millennium, pre-millennium. These are quite big words. Four major views also on the rapture in the pre-millennial view. There's pre-tribulation, mid-tribulation, post-tribulation, pre-wrath. These are big words and we do not have much time to discuss it today, but Lord willing, this is something that we can uh, discuss and know. But here's the point. It's good to know and study these things. It's good to be mindful of this. But remember, these are, if you look at the eschatological view, these are secondary issues. 
these are debatable issues and secondary issues. What do we mean by that? Secondary issues, whatever your position is, whether it's pre-mill, post-mill, or amill, it's something that won't affect that won't affect your salvation. So these are things that are sec of secondary importance. It's good to know, but we have to be careful. Do not let this discussion divide us, or do not let this discussion uh, allow us to hate our brothers because, oh, ayoko na say you're no longer my friend because we do not share the same view. But here is the most important thing about eschatology or about the end times. These are the essentials of eschatology. And what is that? Our Lord Jesus Christ will come again for his bride, the church. We should agree on that. Second, Jesus will ultimately defeat evil, sin, and death. And the third, Christ will establish his kingdom and he will rule with justice and righteousness forever. And the most important thing is endure until the end and be ready for the second coming of Christ. Do not just rest on your mind and heart and say, oh, I just want to debate. I just win, want to win this argument that my position is correct. But the most important thing, your view about eschatology, are you prepared? Are you enduring? Are you ready for the second coming of Christ? You know, I talked with someone from, from another church you now, it's also focused on making disciples. And they say, no, those are good things. No? Sabi ko, what's your, what's your belief about this second coming? Well, basically, we have different positions. Our pastors in our church, we have different positions. But we just focus on the main thing. Continue to make disciples. Because in reality, we cannot predict when will it happen. What we can do now is to prepare and to accumulate points so that we can have that reward by being faithful. And therefore, we need to do our best to endure and be ready for the second coming. Let's continue to know God to love people and make disciples. Again, these are good things to pursue. And Lord willing, if you have the chance and opportunity, let's uh, pursue these things. And in the future, we can also make a uh, discussion on these things. But nonetheless, let's focus on the essential. And here's the point. God is punctual. He's never too early nor too late. His timing is perfect. And he will come. Now, why is it that God is taking so long for Christ to return? Verse 9 tells us, The Lord is not slow about his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing for anyone to perish, but for all to come to repentance. You see, God is not slow, but God is loving, and he wants as many people as safe as possible. Peter says here that God is patient. He is patient with you. I praise God that God is patient, that he did not come. I myself, I also came in a point in my life wherein medyo nagtampo ko kay Lord. I'm a Christian, I'm a follower, but then something happened in the family, so nagtampo ko kay God. And maybe you can use the term backslide, I don't know. But there was a time that my heart was far from God. I just follow my own ways. But praise God that he did not come at that time when I was wandering around. God has been patient and God has has been kind to me. And for all of us who are here, God has been kind to all of us. He is patient. The word patient here in the Greek is a compound word. Two words. The first word means macro or means big or large. And the second word means anger or wrath. So the word patient here literally means great anger. So Peter says that God has this amazing capacity to store up that great anger until he finally spills out on Judgment Day. God has this amazing ability to wait and wait and just to hear the mockers mock him and just let the rebels rebel against him. But one day, God is going to act and it will be decisive. But until then, our Lord is patient. God is patient. And this is what Peter highlighted in verse 10. He gives this warning, but the day of the Lord will come. The day of the Lord. You see, it's one of the mega themes in Scripture, the day of the Lord. 19 times it's discussed in the Old Testament. Isaiah, the prophet Jeremiah, Daniel, Amos, Sephaniah, and Zechariah all predicted the day of the Lord. And even the New Testament, it's mentioned four times. Now, what is the day of the Lord about? The day of the Lord is a time of vengeance and deliverance. On that day, God will judge his enemies and destroy all the wicked people and those who rebel against him. And on that day, Christ will fulfill the second part of his mission. 
as he said in Isaiah 61. Remember the story of Jesus when he came to Nazareth and he was given the scroll and he read through that scripture. Naalala niyo yung sinabi ni Jesus. Ito yung binasa niya. Isaiah 61 verse 1 to 2. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor or afflicted. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty for the captives and freedom to prisoners, to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. And Jesus paused at that. He said, on my first coming, my mission is to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord and all these good things. And he paused and he did not read the second part of verse 2. But on the Lord's day, when Christ comes again, he will fulfill this. And he will ex execute the day of the vengeance of our God. And he will fulfill this completely. And it will be a terrible day. It will be a day of vengeance. And that is what Peter affirms. The day of the Lord will come like a thief when no one else is expecting in which the heavens will pass away with a roar and the elements will be destroyed with intense heat and the earth and its works will be burned up. During Christ's first coming, it was like a silent coming. Of course, the, the shepherds and the magis, they heard about it, they learned about it, but only a, only a few people noticed it. Only the angels sang but then when Christ comes again on his second coming, it will be a loud roar. There will be explosion, intense heat, all will be burned up. And everyone will know about it. And there will be no doubt about that God's coming. And it will be a terrible day of vengeance as what prophet Amos and Jeremiah tells us. He said, woe to you who desire the day of the Lord. For what purpose will the day of the Lord be to you? That day will bring darkness, not light. And the prophet Jeremiah tells us, For this is the day of the Lord, the Lord of the heaven's armies, a day of vengeance on his enemies. The sword will devour until it is satisfied. Yes, it is drunk, until it is drunk with your blood. Dear friends, again the question is, are you prepared for the day of the Lord? If you are not yet in Christ, then I fear for you. You may not realize this, but it will be a scary day for you when you encounter the Lord on that day and you are not ready. You will be destroyed and there's no more second chance. But now Christ is giving us this second chance to come to him and experience his salvation, his deliverance. Now for those of us who are in Christ, those of us who are struggling, who are tired of living in the sinful and broken world, it will be also, the day of the Lord will be a day of deliverance. And God will rescue his faithful people once and for all, and he will fulfill the second part of his promise through Isaiah. This is the continuation of that verse in Isaiah 61. And God will execute the vengeance, and God will execute that day of vengeance of the Lord to comfort all who mourn, to grant those who mourn in Zion, giving them a garland instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the mantle of praise instead of the spirit of fainting. So they will be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord that he may be glorified. Again, dear friends, the day of the Lord is at hand. It will come like a thief. Are you prepared? Are you ready? Are you awake? Or are you still sleeping? Are you watching? Or are you slacking? May the Lord help us. Let's wake up. Watch out. And the last, work on. Work on. Let's work on and get ready for the coming majesty. Verse 11 to 18. Actually, itong message na to, it's supposed to be until verse 13 only, but I want to touch on a few points of verse 18 because that is the flow of the message of 2 Peter. But two weeks from now, Boksu will give us more explanation of the verses 13 to 18 as we have our joint service two weeks from now upstairs. But here's the final point, work on. Since all these things are to be destroyed in this way, what sort of people ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness? Looking forward, or looking for and the, the hastening, the coming of, 
of the day of God because of which the heavens will be destroyed by burning and the elements will met with intense heat. But according to his promise, we are looking for new heavens and new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you look for these things, be diligent. Again, Peter is again and again repeating that the earth will be destroyed. It will be burned. It will be consumed with fire. It will be certain. Then what then should we do? Peter tells us in verse 14, be diligent. Be diligent. Sabihin mo nga sa katabi mo, be diligent. Be diligent. Make every effort. Work hard and prepare for the Lord's coming. And then, now, there are three areas in which we should prepare. Three things. First, be godly. Be godly. Therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these things, be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish and at peace. Dear church, remember the day of the Lord is a special day because it will be our wedding day. The day of the Lord is the day when Christ comes for his bride, the church. When Jesus comes again, it will be our grand wedding day. For some of you who are already married, you experience this joy, this beautiful wedding with your spouse. And for some of you who are preparing, you look forward to it on this life. But for those of us who are single, you will also have that grand wedding day with our Lord. And that it will be the most beautiful wedding day that you could ever experience. Walang sinabi yung mga weddings natin dito in terms of grandeur and glamour and majesty. And that is something that we can look forward. And therefore, God invites us through Peter. He says, we need to be ready as we wait for that wedding day. What should we do? What should we do? Of course, we make ourselves beautiful. Make ourselves beautiful. How? How do we do that? By pursuing holiness, by fighting against temptations, by keeping ourselves from impure things, by saying no to sin and setting apart, setting ourselves apart for our husband, for our groom, that is Christ our Lord. And we do this one day at a time to be diligent to fight against temptation. Again, remember, this is our grand wedding day. You see, think about it. A bride who's preparing for her wedding day, she doesn't, ano, she doesn't go around and date her ex-boyfriends. Hindi niya naman sinasabing, ay, one year pa naman yung wedding ko eh. I'm, I'm bored. Oh, maybe I'll call my ex. I'll just hang around, have fun. No, you don't do that. Or even the, the groom, di ba? Hindi naman ganun yung ginagawa natin. We keep ourselves pure. We make ourselves ready. We make ourselves beautiful. Bawal nga ma-stress. Bawal may wrinkles. Kailangan. Everything is prepared. So we need to beautify ourselves so that we can be ready for our husband. Church, in the same way, Christ is our husband and he expects you and me to keep ourselves pure and be ready for his coming and to remain faithful to him as we wait on the Lord. Be godly and pursue holiness. That's the first. The second is be on guard. Be on guard. And remember, our Lord's patience gives people time to be saved. That is what our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you with the wisdom of God, with the wisdom God gave him. So Peter is telling about uh, the Apostle Paul. Paul is speaking of these things in all of his letters. Some of his comments are hard to understand. And those who are ignorant and unstable have twisted his letters to mean something quite different, just as they do with other parts of Scripture. So Peter is saying, you see, the Apostle Paul is also writing about the same thing, that the day of the Lord is coming, so we need to prepare. But then, si Paul, medyo mahirap maintindihan yung kanyang letters. And therefore, the scoffers, the mockers, the false teachers, they are twisting these things to mean something different, which they usually do with other parts of the, the scripture. But Peter is saying there, this will result in the destruction of the false teachers. Again, verse 17, Peter talks to the believers. You already know these things, dear friends, so be on guard. Be on guard. Then you will not be carried away by the errors of these wicked people and lose your own secure footing. What's the point here? You see, the last days are marked by deception and distress. That is 
what the Lord Jesus tells his disciple. There will be an increase in deception and distress. Matthew 24 tells us, as Jesus sat on the Mount of Olives, his disciples came to him privately and said, tell us, when will this happen? What sign will signal your return and the end of the world? And Jesus told them, do not let anyone mislead you, for many will come in my name claiming I am the Messiah. They will deceive many. They will deceive many. That's the deception part. In the last days, deception will increase. Just like what we experienced during the COVID-19 lockdown pandemic. Many confusing, many uh, fake news or many false data came out. So hindi natin alam, ano bang gagawin natin? Do we do this? Do we do that? Do we wear masks or not? Do we take the vaccine or not? And people are confused. And that, I believe that is just a taste of what will happen in the future. Again, deception and distress will increase. Jesus continues, Matthew 24, verse 6, And you will hear wars and threat of wars, but don't panic. These things must take place, but the end won't follow immediately. Nations will go to war against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines, earthquakes in many parts of the world. Distress will increase. There will be earthquakes, typhoons, tsunamis, economic concerns, geopolitical wars. And this will increase and increase until Christ comes again. Now, think about it. As the global, as a world, as we face distress and, and uh, increasing pain, Many people will be afraid. And what usually happens when people are afraid? Emotions get in their way. People stop thinking. They throw away their logic. And kakapitan na lang nila kung sino man yung magsasabi, oh, I, I am here to save you. I am here to solve your problems. That will happen. And that's the perfect setup for the coming deception. You see, the greatest deception will come when the Antichrist comes into the picture. You see, Bible scholars believe that this person will offer false peace. And many believe, will believe him because of his charismatic personality, of his incredible promises, and even breathtaking miracles. And he will unite all nations politically, religiously, economically under his leadership. And he will be successful because, again, it will be coming from a time of distress when people are so tired, are so confused, and then that will be the perfect picture. Many feel that, oh, maybe this is the Christ who will, who will save us. You see, that's what happened during World War II in Germany before Hitler showed his true colors. The Protestant pastors were praising Hitler. They were, they were saying Hitler was a leader sent from God. They were even Protestant pastors tell that, but they don't realize that he, Hitler is double-edged. So we have to be careful. We have to be on guard. Verse 17 tells us, you already know these things, dear friends, so be on guard. Then you will be not carried away by the errors of these wicked people and lose your secure footing. Dear church, since we have the time right now, let's continue to know the truth. Strengthen your convictions. Know what you believe. Know why you believe Christianity, why you believe Christ, why do you follow God, so that you will not lose your secure footing, so that you will not be deceived by the lies and errors of the enemy. And that leads us to the last point, grow. But grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. The verb grow is in the present active imperative. It means it is not just a one-time event, but it is something that's ongoing. So what Peter is telling us, keep growing in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Keep growing. And how do you do that? Keep reading God's word. Keep studying God's word. Keep on knowing Christ. Keep on being familiar with him. So that when the false Christ comes into the picture, we will not be deceived. And therefore, we need to continue to do this. And let's make every effort to do that. Keep growing and be diligent in doing this. And how do you grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ? How do you grow in the knowledge? Or, or, or I mean, how do you grow in the grace of our Lord? Let's go back to Second Peter chapter 1. Make every effort to grow in this area. 
to grow in this area in moral excellence, with knowledge, in self-control, in patient endurance, in godliness, in brotherly affection. And the more we grow like this, the more productive and useful we will be in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Just assess your life. How are you growing in this area? How are you growing in your faith, in knowledge, in self-control, in patient endurance, in brotherly love? Brothers and sisters, God calls us to grow, to be ready, to be faithful. Let's show this last slide, please. Brothers and sisters, we are already in the last lap of the last days. We are already in the last leg of the last days. And Christ, our bridegroom, is coming soon. The question is, are you prepared? Are you prepared? Don't let distress, deception, or even distraction overtake you. Instead, watch out, wake up, and work on. Be godly by saying no to sin. Be godly by fighting off temptations. Be on guard by holding on to the truth and deepening your conviction about who Christ is, what you believe, and your faith. And keep growing in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Wake up, watch out, and work on. To him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. I pray, O oh Lord, for, for this time as we come before you. Yes, O oh God, just help us to, to realize where you want us to go from here. Enable us, O oh God, to open our eyes to the greater reality that this world is not about us but this world its beginning and its end will be all about you and your glory help us to see ourselves in that in the light of that reality thank you lord jesus for your salvation for sustaining us O oh lord may you find us faithful